right. We're Black Box Radio. It is 4 We have Natasha with us today. Say hi to the people. Oh, hi. How are you guys? I hope everyone's doing great. Being staying positive. All right. Well, tell the people, get them acclimated with you. Tell them what you would, what you do in a community. What do you do professionally every day? Um, professionally every day, I am a student and worker that lives in D.C. Um, I currently um, am a peer mentor for Common App. So I help approximately 6,000 students navigate through their college experience virtually. Um, I'm also very into community organizing. So I'm a community member of Empower DC that does a lot of work specifically uh, currently with the um, comprehension plan with zoning laws, um, amongst other things that I really enjoy doing Then the community is staying engaged. So you said students. So give us a little context on that, like particularly what school, um, where you are in school and what you're studying. All right. I'm a sophomore at George Washington University, and I'm currently uh, majoring in international affairs with a concentration in African economics and a double major in sociocultural anthropology. And what is that? You know, we I haven't heard all of that in one setting going to school. So what would that transfer to a teacher or um, you would work internationally? What do you want to do with some with, with all those majors? Sound very interesting. Um, I mean, there's a lot you can do with the with the majors, mm-hmm. like you said. Like you be a teacher, I was um, thinking about becoming a diplomat at one point. Also, mm-hmm. I also want to go to law school, so I, it, it's really helpful for um, going into law and specifically dealing with international law, which I want to do, and eventually um, have my own law firm internationally that deals with transitional justice. And in order to understand transitional justice, I believe that people need to have an understanding of different cultures and, um, going through the proper training to be culturally competent when, when, um, thinking about other cultures. And I feel like currently in a lot of international organizations, a lot of leaders lack, um, cultural competency. So that was really my decision-making and tying those two things together. And it, it specifically impacts um, economy really, really toughly. Um, just someone being culturally incompetent and uh, the effects of someone being biased based off just being infused in who they are, but then also making economic decisions that's going to impact everyone, right? So that's really... If you can do uh, do us a favor and just describe or elaborate on what transitional justice means. Okay. Um, transitional justice and my way of thinking would be if, if a current institution or firm has been sued or like, or maybe is going through a period where they're trying to make equitable decisions within their firm or um, being sued by someone that's demanding them to, then we would help them along that process of um, getting them more informed on what equitable measures or economical um, equitable measures would look like for other races, d- different races and or specifically races, because I feel like that's always overshadowed. Um, so so just those things or let's say specifically I'm thinking about um, trade agreements. So there's a lot of bilateral trade agreements that go on with African countries specifically and they're being exploited for their resources and they don't get a lot in return. So let's say a government wanted to 
um, figure out why this was happening. Um, and UN probably isn't going to do it, but uh, let's say Ghana, for example, wants to do it and it's based off for Coco. Um, they, they could go through those proper protocols of trying to go towards some type of transitional justice with whatever bilateral bilateral trade partner that they're with. Right. That's what I'm thinking of when I'm thinking of it. I don't know if that oh. makes sense or not. It does. I get it. Yeah, that, that helps us understand a little bit more what you mean by that. And in African nations, what you're saying, because they are being exploited for Africa is being exploited for its resources. So transitional justice would play a heavy part because they can uh, because a lot of these colonial laws and colonial um, agreements that they've been in for years, they need to be dispelled. Exactly. You know, so that 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 definitely makes sense. And hmm. but I didn't know how to go about that. But now I see you have to do the international stuff. Okay. Got it. All right. So for COVID-19 in your life, how has it affected, of course, you're a student, you say you're in a community, but you're virtually doing 6,000 students. So that's not really an intimate movement, but you're in a community, you are a student, school is shut down. How are you feeling about that part of your life? Um, I think it was, it was a shocking transition to go about just because, um, as students, like we're already, we already pay an upfront cost for our education and just the whole abrupt, like, oh, we're not going to bring you back. And then this is like the stated refund that you may get for staying home. Um, it, was, it was very abrupt. And it was, it was just very like concerning because it just almost made it seem like the school didn't really go through the proper protocol to go to virtual online classes, really, but they just tried to make it that transition. And it's like at some point, I think as students, we have the duty to question, uh, I guess, the, I don't know, the integrity and or the quality of our education. Right. Um, I I just feel like most universities weren't ready for that transition. So we kind of I feel like it should have been halted or thought about more. Um, But aside from that, like I also like a lot of my stuff were left in my dorm and I couldn't I live in D.C. I go to school in D.C. and they wouldn't allow me to get my things from my dorm. And they probably did that to so many other people and then said that they were going to ship our belongings and never ship them. So there's so many like little small things I go into that has been like very disruptive because like that doesn't allow you to have access to certain school supplies or clothes or like medications, like so many different things. Um so it's what? just been very disruptive. Everything's been abrupt. Like everything, the government said, shut everything down. Everything was shut down as soon as we opened, like closed our eyes and then opened it back up. So I mean, I've heard the same thing from other people who are particularly um, in university. They're saying the same thing. I haven't heard that it was so abrupt, whereas you couldn't, well, I did hear you can get your things, but um, you're saying a casual problems. You're saying the application of the distance learning was not a good transition. Am I hearing that? Like, oh yeah, yeah. The online classes aren't have not been a great transition. Some of my professors have said, um, you know, like I'll just give you the A, which is great, cool. I don't have to stress about it. But then other professors have been like, well, you know, I know that I'm giving you a lot of content, like something like economics, right? And it's um, it's a lot of heavy content, and you have to like really go go slow to understand it and have people guide you through it because that's a whole nother way of thinking that's not normal. Um, it's not a normal way of thinking. It's kind of like a greedful way of thinking. So you need people to like walk you through the process and they kind of took that away. So mm-hmm. now we have like, we have the whole option of pass and fail. So it's like, if you get the uh, the information by yourself, great. 
and you have the ability to just pass without having the credit. And it's like, why would you do that? You know, like, why would it, why would you want to rush information that is so fragile to be rushed with? And I think in that sense, it kind of takes away the quality of our education um, because we don't have to have, we can't have those active interactions or like going to the different events because we have like events planned to go to like the IMF because it's right on campus and like all of that is taken away. But I mean, you can always do your personal research, but it's just, I'm just saying like that. It's just, it's kind of crazy that we pay for this. Like people put so much emphasis on education, higher education, but this is what their response is to the students. It's as if like, it really doesn't matter. Like it should be free. You know, if we're going to do something like this, if I didn't say I wanted to have virtual classes and you give me virtual classes, um, I'm not getting what I paid for. <laughs> I'm sorry. I went on the rant, but. I feel like you're not getting what you pay for. Right. And- because I'm sure, let's let's be clear, George Washington University isn't cheap. So um, I, I understand what you're saying. It's like you had this education that was structured. You go to school, da-da-da-da, you're in the dorms, whatever. And now this distance virtual learning that is not going well. And there's no propensity for refund. But you're saying the refund is maybe, is what they think that you should get. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, but yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Especially, but you also can't get back your time, right? And then not only that, but it just goes into the quality of education because most of the education, especially at PWIs, are already like really, really biased. So it's like on top of the education that we're getting to be biased and we're not able to ask direct questions. It's like and we're and we're trying to transition to virtual learning without an actual set plan. So it was really like up in the air what the professors were going to do. Are we going to do Zoom calls or are we just going to like check in every two, three weeks, you know? So what are you doing? Are you doing Zoom? I mean, how how is it structured? Um, I have one Zoom class call that I go into. It's not mandatory, but I go into it. Um, my econ is purely like me reading, going through problems. Um, my writing, well, I'm taking Afro Latinx history. That's just reading and doing my own personal writing, but it's not mandatory again. So it's been very like easygoing. Pretty much mm-hmm. geology. I have an exam tomorrow for geology. Um, so the interaction, how do you interact with the professor? Uh, is it, I, of course, it's via email, but you, you don't really have a one-on-one or can you ask for a one-on-one to explain something? How's all of that? Um, of- yeah, sure. But some of my professors I haven't heard from since since everything has happened. Um, mm-hmm. Some professors like on the Zoom call, I can have engaging conversations with um, him and I can email some professors, but uh, sometimes you just don't pretty much get a response. Mm. You laying it out there. Let me ask. So is this, so we're going to end the school thing. Is it effectual or ineffectual? Ineffective or effective? Your education at this point to COVID-19. I I mean, I think, I think that's a tricky question. I feel like it's, um, I feel like the American education system in itself is, ineffectual altogether and the best education you could get is if you teach yourself but pre-COVID-19 is very very ineffectual yes I do agree oh wow okay (laughs) and now during COVID can you give me that what do you think your education belies now that um it's distant learning do you feel like you're being taught the way that you should be um I 
No. I mean, I, I would never want to say that I'm being taught the way that I should be. That would imply indoctrination. I try to teach myself as much as possible doing personal research and then based off the co- the resources that they may give me. So if they give me a textbook, I'm reading their, um, their opportunities of me reading whatever topic they want me to read upon and then also using other research and research information on that. So that's okay. pretty much So you sound like you got some activism. You sound very like you got some activism. So in school, let's say that at George Washington University, um, I don't know the demographics of your university Um, because you talked about cultural competence. You talked about um, a few things and it sounds, and from what what I'm hearing, you sound like you you have a lot of um, community activism or African activism inside of you. Um, At George Washington University, do you feel that... um, you're able to express that or? Yeah, definitely have been advocating for change on my campus. Mm. Um, And I was in the process of doing so before COVID-19 had happened. So it really was an abrupt on a lot of different things, I'm sure for everyone. Um, But yeah, I was. And hopefully next semester I can continue it. Okay. And and then why, let me ask then, because one, I'm being a devil advocate. Why wouldn't you go to like a um, HBCU or something like that? I personally come from um, being in the academy. So I transitioned from going to a military school to a civilian school. And um, the GW was the only school that offered me a a full scholarship. Um, It wasn't Howard. That's one. But two, um, I I think I guess we have to question, like, just because it's a black higher education institution, is it molding you to actually think critically like a black community should like as far as like asking the direct questions to see if the democratic institution is in the interest of black people or if it's just trying to assimilate inside of the white society and i feel like in some instances yes like you might have um university uh, HBCUs that are doing that but in other instances it's like I will want to critique Howard because I feel like Howard has so much potential of using those kids as a catalyst to promote extreme radical change in the society however like they use a lot of their funding to promote people like you know Megan Thee Stallion and it's like Mm -hmm. why would you put educational money towards supporting um, Megan Thee Stallion and not like an economist right And, and that that's going to really an economist like George Ayete, like a Ghanaian economist that is going to really uh, garner a different perspective and understanding on how to um, make society better, which is what people should doing, not 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 promoting things of distraction. And I feel like in certain institutions like in PWIs, they really don't have too many distractions like that. Right. And I feel like what's this PWI? Predominantly white institutions. Uh, Excuse me. Okay, so that's for PWI. Let's let's be careful. Okay, so that's for the PDI. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't know. That's, that's for the people. A lot of us didn't know what that meant. Go ahead. Oh, okay. My apologies. But um, yeah, I mean, it, there's so many different reasons. Um, there's so many different reasons to tackle that question. But as far as like having the community of, of HBCU, I would really love to have like, it's something that's dearly missed. But as far as like the peep, the administration that's a part of it, like there's so many things that can go on. And that's unfortunate and that those are things that I want to change, which is why like, I'm going through this different route, but it's only, it's like the preferable option, financially speaking, right? So that's really yeah. the bulk of it. Well, that's, that's what number one. Most of us go to school and we go for the bag. If, if, if not, then you didn't you go for a choice. But the number one thing is someone is helping you pay for your education. Of course you want to access that. So that makes sense. But when I hear, as you say, PWIs, I never use that. Then, you know, I ask folks, because I did go to HBCUs. So I just wanted to know. Okay. 
Got it. Got it. So um, let me ask you another question when it comes to, because you said that you do the 6,000 students virtually. Can you expound on that? What, what is that? Um, it's just a, like a peer mentorship uh, virtually. So it's, it's really just like um, just checking up on students, making sure that they're okay and they're going through the process of COVID-19 um, well. And we just ask them how they're doing and we coach them through different thing, tips to have financially for school or like studying tips or reminders, um, different things like that. And it's about 6,000 6, students per week. And it's, in, it's kids from George Washington or these are younger students. Where are the students coming from? Oh, they're just across the nation. So it's just different. So oh, it's um, all students that apply through Common App to go to college and all those people who are registered. Um, you, you have to text 6,000 people a week to make sure they're okay. Wow. That's a lot of people to text. <laughs> that's, that's a heck of a group text. Oh, okay. So you know, <laughs> that's 6,000 people. That's a lot of people. Okay. So um, we're at the, the part of the interview where we do a last will and testament. And that's like leaving um, something insp- inspirational or something that um, particularly of, that you want to leave with the people. Um, it's just like your jewel. So um, you got the floor. We will deal with the folks. I would just say I hope everyone is really taking this time to center themselves and um, really come at peace to everything and using the time to research whatever you want to research to identify who you are internally to move forward. Um, I think this is a great opportunity to do so and also reflecting on the world and just um, staying true to like history and identity and trying to reclaim what your identity is in the context of the society. So kind of like trying to step away from social media a bit and just really just spend some time with self and family. But that's pretty much it. Ooh, excellent. Awesome. G? Thank you so much for sharing your perspective as a student, as a community organizer and activist, and as a person who has a global perspective um, on the way that you are managing this situation personally and the way that it's impacting the work that you are doing in the community. We really appreciate your perspective. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me and thank you for creating this platform. I think this is awesome what you guys are doing. Thank you. And um, if you're listening right now and you would like to hear more voices from the Rona Report, you can visit blackboxradio.com. That's B-L-A-K-B-O-X-X. R-A-D-I-O dot com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Black Box and on Twitter at Box Black. That's B-O-X-X-B-L-A-K. And if you're hearing this, make sure that you share it with your friends and family. The content, uh, our content is being suppressed on these platforms. So we count on the community to help us spread the word. So we really appreciate it if we could share that, uh, share this conversation and all the conversations of the Rona Report. Um, this is the Rona Report. We had Nakasha. And listen, we really appreciate your perspective as a student, as an activist. Um, your international studies is so interesting. So we really appreciate your your perspective on the Rona Report. And let's stay linked. Yes. We have 42220. This is Black Box Radio. We out. Peace.